Let's uh, start with prayer. Please stand with me. We'll ask God's blessing upon our study this evening. Lord, it's not a mere ceremony that we go through in asking for thy blessing uh, any more than when we seek thy blessing over our food. But now, more importantly, we seek thy blessing over this spiritual food. Pray that thou would nourish it to our souls, that thou would give to us, Lord, an earnest hungering and thirsting uh, for the things of God, and that, Lord, uh, uh, we would not simply uh, taste it, but we would uh, digest it, that it would become a part of our, uh, our very being, our character, uh, as we practice it. Uh, Lord, forgive us of our sins as we uh, approach thee, as we come into thy presence, that thou would bless now uh, thy holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're focusing tonight on a passage found in John 10, verses 32 through 42. But I'm going to begin reading at verse 27, so I'll begin reading 27 through the end of the chapter. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, Thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God? If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand and went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him there. So we left in our last study uh, the Jewish religious leaders taking up stones 
to kill Jesus right there on the spot, verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And you notice the little word again. This was not the first time you'll recall that they had endeavored to do so back in John 8, 59. Likewise, after Jesus had uh, said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And again, because uh, of the reaction of the Jews to what Jesus just said there in John 8, 58, uh, it's very clear they understood that he was, bla uh, from their perspective, not that he was, but that, that they took this to be blasphemy, that he was claiming to be God. He is claiming to be the great I am. In verse 59, it says, Then took uh, they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So this is another time, and just the recent, uh, uh, recent past, a second time that this has uh, occurred. The penalty for blasphemy uh, in the Old Testament was stoning. So, and uh, you find that in more than one passage, but Leviticus 24, um, verses 24 through 26, uh, that was the penalty that God gave for that. It reveals how seriously God takes blasphemy, doesn't it? That he says, uh, that God says, uh, one does not deserve to die or live if one does um, blaspheme God. In, in some respects, um, since it's a direct sin against God, it's, it's actually a more egregious sin than taking somebody's life, uh, which is a part of the second table commandments. First table commandment, uh, those are more egregious, more aggravated, uh, more heinous sins committed directly against God. It's interesting that in uh, our own colonial history, uh, the laws uh, forbade uh, blasphemy, and uh, those laws were universal throughout the, the colonies. Uh, they forbade uh, blasphemy. In some of the colonies, again, blasphemy was viewed as being so heinous that it was punishable by death. That's even true in our own history. However, in 1952, uh, the Supreme United States Supreme Court ruled that blasphemy laws were unconstitutional. Unconstitutional. In other words, that the authority of the First Amendment, which uh, basically says that, uh, that uh, um, the nation, the government cannot establish a religion, and so it's the freedom, so-called freedom of religion clause, um, based on that, the, the First Amendment to the Constitution is of higher authority than the First Commandment in God's law, uh, or the Third Commandment in God's law. Uh, and uh, so uh, the First Amendment, which grants freedom of religion, is viewed by our own Supreme Court uh, as having more authority then thou shalt have no other gods before thee, uh, or thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Notice, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. 
I ask, uh, how can this be considered a Christian nation when a mere human document uh, has greater authority than the moral law of God? Um, we can certainly call it a nation, but to call it a Christian nation, um, I think it speaks for itself. Uh, God's law is not considered to be the highest authority in this land. Uh, the supreme law of the land is the Constitution. Uh, that's what the Constitution itself says. The national religion of the United States, therefore, uh, is not Christianity. Uh, it's polytheism. It's the protection of all religions. Uh, uh, Christianity is just one of the many religions um, well, within this nation. It's like a uh, having a pantheon of gods uh, in uh, the United States. So is it any wonder when that's the case that God uh, brings his judgment upon a nation that shows such contempt for his holy name, uh, for his holy religion? It ought not to be a surprise or wonder to us at all. The Jews viewed the words of Jesus here clearly in John 10.30 when he said, I and my Father are one. They viewed it as blasphemy. And indeed, the words of Jesus would be blasphemy if, they, if, if uh, he were not God. Uh, if he were claiming to be God when he was not God, yeah, that would be blasphemy. But it's... Uh, in reality, uh, uh, Jesus was simply saying what is true, uh, that he is one nature with the Father. I and my Father are one. And uh, that word one uh, is used not in the masculine uh, gender, but in the neuter gender, which emphasizes uh, nature. We are one in nature. Um, not one person, uh, but one nature. Here the Lord once again restrains them, though they have the stones, they've taken up the stones and apparently are ready to, to throw them at the Lord Jesus. Uh, in some way, we're not told how, but in some way they are restrained once again from casting and throwing those stones at the Lord Jesus by God's power, by his restraint. Perhaps again, the fact that Jesus immediately answers them uh, was sufficient uh, pause on their part to listen to what he might have to say in regard to them taking up the stones and him knowing that they are judging him to have blasphemed. And so now we pick up at verse 32. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do ye stone me? So it appears Jesus gets the attention of the Jews here, these religious leaders who are about to stone him by asking uh, them, uh, in effect, I've performed many different miraculous signs and wonders that the Old Testament scripture 
predicted the Messiah would perform when he came. I performed these. Now, Jesus is saying, for which of those miraculous signs and wonders, which of those good works do you stone me? Uh, so on past occasions, Jesus, you recall, was asked by the religious leaders, give us a sign. Show us that you are the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 39, we read, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Verse 39, But he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So that, that was, uh, again, they dem demanded a sign, and uh, the Lord Jesus uh, re reproves them by saying, uh, it's an ad evil and adulterous generation uh, that uh, seeks a sign, that looks for signs, that bases everything upon signs and wonders rather than the truth uh, that is spoken and judging whether the truth that is spoken is consistent with what God has already revealed in his word. But he does give them a sign, and the ultimate sign, which he does more than one time, he says, my resurrection is going to be the sign that basically I will base everything upon. And so we can, we can look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and say, um, based upon what Jesus taught, uh, in fact, not only what he taught, because he says, basically, he's the one who, who um, was revealed in the Old Testament as well, that uh, the uh, patriarchs, the prophets, they saw Jesus and uh, his coming. So all that, basically, God has revealed in his word uh, is going to be substantiated uh, by his resurrection. And so he's, he's either a liar uh, because he was not raised from the dead or he is the Lord and he is God because he was raised from the dead and all that he said was true. All that he said was faithful. They also demanded a, a sign in Matthew 16 verses 1 through 4. And again, very similar. Uh, I won't read it, but uh, you, you can uh, look at that yourself. In John chapter 2, uh, verses 18 through 19, they likewise demanded a sign. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, 
and in three days I will raise it up. Once again, he points to his resurrection as being the ultimate sign. And then in John 6.30, John 6.30, now this is particularly interesting because he just, uh, and this is immediately afterwards, uh, he had just uh, multiplied the bread, the fish and the bread to feed thousands of people. And uh, here they say unto him, uh, in verse 30, they said, Therefore unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? And so uh, one wonders again, I mean, how, how blind uh, these, these people are. Um, the fact that they um, had performed many signs many wonders and uh, even had uh, multiplied the, f the fish and the bread to feed 5,000 uh, at that time. And uh, uh, so they're still asking for a sign. And so they're basically saying, okay, I know you've done these miracles, but we want to see another one. And then when he performs another miracle, but we want to see another one. It's just like, like saying, we're not going to believe you. It doesn't matter what you do. Even if you're raised from the dead, we're still not going to believe you. Because then they knew, the, the chief priests, the religious leaders, knew that he had been raised from the dead. And they made up a, a, a lie, a story, that the disciples came and, and stole his body, though they knew the truth. So even the resurrection wasn't sufficient. That just shows the nature of unbelief. Uh, uh, with our unbelieving hearts, nothing is going to be sufficient uh, to uh, overcome that unbelief unless God gives us faith, unless God gives us the ability to trust him and to believe in him. So the real problem is a spiritual problem, not a lack of evidence. All of Christ's miraculous signs pointed to the, to the truth as he said, to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, that the Father sent him, that he was sent by God the Father. And so Jesus, here in verse 32, he's challenging them publicly before the people. This is not in a private setting. He's speaking to them in a public setting, and he's challenging them publicly to show which of his miraculous works that he had performed was evil. Which one is evil? What do you accuse me of as far as the works that I performed as being evil? And I'm pretty sure this caught them by surprise. Here they've got stones in their hands ready to throw in them. And he charges them, you know, which work do you accuse me? Which miraculous work do you accuse me of? of being evil. Uh, you know, stoning a person implies that they've done something worthy of death, right? And so Jesus is publicly putting them on the spot now by saying to them, prove that I've done something worthy of death. Verse 33, John 10, <clears throat> The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stoned thee not, 
but for blasphemy. And because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. So they, they admit, <laughs> for a good work we stone thee not. They're not willing to say that he's done anything wrong. They're not willing to say that uh, he's, he's done an evil work, that his, that his miracles are, are wrong, or that, uh, uh, that he's uh, uh, done something evil through those works. And so they, they focus upon the matter of blasphemy, that that's why uh, that they were uh, to about to stone him was because he had claimed in verse 30, I and my father are one. Notice here uh, how the Jews accurately understood what Jesus was saying about himself, whereas JWs, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, oneness groups, Pentecostal, uh, holiness, uh, apostolic, uh, holiness, these various uh, groups uh, that are oneness groups, Unitarians, all of these various groups that deny uh, the Trinity, uh, they uh, are blind to what the Jews realized. The Jews realized that he had claimed to be God. But they said, you're blaspheming, you're a mere man. You're, 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 you're blaspheming God. Whereas these groups will not even, even acknowledge that Jesus was claiming to be God. They say that Jesus made himself uh, to be uh, God. Being a man, thou makest thyself God. Well, they were certainly wrong that Jesus was a mere man. He was a man, but he was not a mere man. But they were right that Jesus declared himself to be God, just as he did. And this is very similar to what we read in John 5.18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And so very similarly here in John 10.33, they say to the Lord Jesus, because that thou being a man makest thyself God, the charge is that he has declared himself, he's made himself God by his, what he has said. But again, we've gone over this, but I just want to, in this context, make clear again that when Jesus says that he is the Son of Man, doesn't mean that he's less than man. <clears throat> it means that he has the nature of man. And when he says that he's the Son of God, doesn't mean that he's less than God. It means that he has the nature of God. It was not that Jesus declared he and his Father were one in purpose, one in intention. Uh, any of the fathers from the past, uh, any of the saints, uh, you know, uh, those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ could say, um, 
because I'm a Christian, my purpose is that of the Father's. I, my, 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 the, the Father's purpose and my purpose are the same. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, anyone could make that claim who is a, a true believer. I and the Father are one in purpose. Uh, we want to be, you know, that's our goal, is to have the same purpose as God the Father. But that's not what he was saying. He's not saying that we're one in purpose. We're one in nature. That's the, that's the thing that the Jews correctly understood he was saying. He was claiming to be one in nature with the Father. Verse 34. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? Now, in the next several verses, Jesus uh, argues uh, from the lesser to the greater, and I'll, I'll show that as we go through these verses. An argument, if this is true, which is less, how much more this is true that is greater? So that's going to be the line of uh, argument on the part of the Lord Jesus at this point. So when Jesus says in verse 34, is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods, uh, this is a, a statement that is taken from Psalm 82.6. And you would, might say, well, Psalm, how is that the law? Well, the law, the word law, can be used uh, in a very narrow sense to refer to um, the, the law of Moses, or it can be used in a more broad sense. Um, the law of the Lord uh, is perfect, converting the soul. Is, uh, the law of the Lord in that sense is not referring to uh, just the first five books of Moses. Um, uh, it's referring to all of inspired scripture, um, and so the, the word law can have a more broad or general sense. So Psalm 82.6, in that sense, that more broad and general way, is um, by Jesus called uh, the law. So Psalm 82.6 says, I said, ye are gods. Turn, if you have your Bibles handy, um, turn with me to Psalm 82. And because Lord Jesus is quoting this, this portion of the psalm, and I want you to understand uh, from the context here who the gods are. Uh, God is the one speaking. I said, ye are gods. So God is saying that somebody or some group are gods. Uh, so who is that group uh, that he is speaking to? Psalm 82, it's a very short psalm. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods how long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked, Selah? Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. 
They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. In the context of Psalm 82, the gods referred to there are the judges, are the princes. Ye are gods. Why, why does the Lord call them gods um, instead of judges? Well, because in, in this context, he's, he's seeking to show to them that they have uh, uh, a godlike responsibility. They are to rule on behalf of God. Um, Paul says in Romans chapter 13 uh, that uh, those who are lawful magistrates are the ministers of God uh, to us for good. That's, their, that's what they're called uh, to be, ministers of God. And so uh, instead of saying here in Psalm 82, ministers of God, uh, he uses the word gods. And that's not the only place where judges uh, or princes are called gods in the Old Testament. Uh, for example, in uh, back in Exodus 22, Exodus 22, verse 28, says, Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. So who are the gods? They're the rulers of, of, of God's people. Uh, that, I think, uh, is pretty clear. Look at uh, the same chapter of Exodus, verses 8 and 9. If the thief be not found, then the master of the house shall be brought unto the judges to see whether he have put his hands upon his neighbor's goods. For all manner of trespass, whether it be for ox, for ass, for sheep, for raiment, or for any manner of lost thing which another challengeth to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whom the judges shall condemn, he shall pay double unto his neighbor. Now the word judges is, is used in the um, King James Version in those uh, two verses, I think, looks like about three times, but each time it's the word gods uh, in the Hebrew, uh, Elohim. Uh, it's, uh, and so it's again uh, referring to uh, uh, gods are the judges. And so when Jesus says, back to John chapter 10, uh, verse uh, 34, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. Um, that he's drawing attention uh, to the fact uh, that uh, the Lord declares and uses the term gods in reference to kings, rulers, and judges among his people. 
In verses 35 through 36 of John 10, Jesus continues. And this is where we see the argument from the lesser to the greater. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemous, because I said, I am the Son of God. If rulers who are mere men are called gods by God himself in Psalm 82.6, Jesus is saying, how can it be blasphemy for me to declare that I am the Son of God who was sent into the world by the Father. So Jesus is, as I said, using this argument of lesser that if it's not wrong and God himself used the word gods to refer to even human judges, how much more the fact that I have been sent by the Father into this world and I call myself the Son of God, uh, how much more that is approved by God. He's the one who sent me. Uh, uh, and uh, so he, having sent me, approves of the fact that I am the Son of God. I am of the same nature uh, with the Father. Might uh, almost easily pass by this, but in verse 35, if he called them gods into whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Uh, just that little phrase, and the scripture cannot be broken. Uh, that, that is uh, just a few words, and yet uh, in it is contained our, our whole view of the authority of, of the Bible. The scripture cannot be broken. It's basically the Lord declaring that the scripture cannot fail. Uh, it cannot fail to be absolutely true. It cannot be broken because it, it, is, it is itself inspired by God. It cannot fail to be what it is, the word of God. And that's the certain declaration of Jesus himself. So, to, so in effect, dear ones, to disbelieve any part of Scripture, Jesus is, when Jesus says the Scripture cannot be broken, to disbelieve any part of Scripture is to call Jesus a liar. He said it can't be broken. It cannot fail but to be true. So if there is any other part of Scripture, no matter how miraculous of an event, whether it's the creation of the world, whether it's the flood, whether it's Jonah and the whale, regardless of what it is, the resurrection of Christ, the miracles of Christ, whatever it is that, that one might discredit or say, I don't know that that happened, is in effect to call Jesus a liar because he said it cannot be broken. He didn't say certain parts of it cannot be broken. He said the scripture cannot. That takes in all that is, is written. The whole Bible is scripture. And if Jesus is a liar, then Christianity is a false religion. 
You see, everything hinges on this simple yet all-comprehensive statement, the scripture cannot be broken. It's impossible for it to be broken. Verses 37 through 38. <clears throat> if I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So Jesus once again appeals to his miraculous works as confirmation that he is who he says he is. That is, that he's the Son of God. Remember, again, the Jewish, Jewish religious leaders here had already publicly testified earlier in this section we've just read uh, that they could not condemn any of his uh, wondrous works, any of his miraculous works. They couldn't condemn them. We condemn thee not, they said, for thy works. So now Jesus takes them back to those works that they said they couldn't condemn. And he says to them, if, if you can't condemn these works, uh, though you believe not me, believe then the works that I have performed. If I perform miraculous works and you can't condemn me, as you've already testified, then don't charge me with blasphemy. They they confirm, those miraculous works, confirm what I've said to be true, that I am the Son of God. Verse 39, Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. Here we see again the nature of unbelief, do we not? They can't condemn him for any of the works he's performed. They've admitted that. Uh, they can't deny uh, the miraculous nature of his works, which again the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would perform these, various, the, these very works. And he performs them. And yet... <clears throat> Their unbelief refuses to lay hold of the truth, even in the face of incontrovertible evidence of both Christ's words of truth and his miraculous signs that confirmed the truth. As we've said already, the problem is not needing more evidence. The problem is that they cannot believe until they are given faith by the Lord. And they are in that position of unbelief due to their own sin, uh, as are all of us. And if God had not come to us to give us faith, to lay hold of Christ, to believe in Christ, we'd be doing exactly what they're doing. We'd be saying the same thing. 2 Thessalonians 3.2 says very clearly that not all men have faith. Not all men have saving faith. Only those to whom the Lord gives that faith. It is the gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. 
that no man may boast. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Here we see once again that Jesus miraculously escapes out of their hand. We're not told how he did this time. In uh, verse 59, I'm sorry, uh, in uh, verse 39, he escaped out of their hand. But it's very similar to what it said back in John 8, 59. It says they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. Once again, it's almost as if he vanishes right before them. Uh, or they were in some way temporarily restrained by God from carrying out their desire to, to take hold of him. Because it wasn't God's appointed time yet for Jesus to be taken by the religious leaders. Which again, uh, gives to us a very important truth. Uh, that none of our enemies can take us until it is God's time. Uh, we may, we need not therefore fear, uh, run around and panic that the enemy of God, whether the spiritual enemy of God, Satan, or whether any other material enemies are going to overtake us, we need not fear because they can't touch us until it is God's time. And when it is God's time, then it's time for us, uh, whatever it may be that God permits, it's Time for us to submit to the, the will of God at that point in time. We are all protected in, the, in, the, in a similar way. We are all protected by Almighty God until it is time that we be taken by the enemy. Verse 40, And went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John had first baptized and there he abode. Jesus went now to the place where John had been baptizing, uh, both to escape the Jews that were there in Jerusalem, but also uh, to draw attention, the attention of the people to what John, who's now at this point in, in the narrative and in the history uh, of the Lord Jesus. John is no longer living. He's been beheaded by, by Herod. But it's to go back to the same place where John uh, was baptizing others, but, but where Jesus himself was baptized and John gave public testimony as to who Jesus was, that he is the Lamb of God. Verse 41, and many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true. So the people acknowledged John, interestingly, to be a prophet of God. Uh, the one who Jesus said there's not been a greater prophet than John because he was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He had that special honor that no other prophet did. The prophets in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus, but he was the actual forerunner 
uh, to go before Jesus and to proclaim the king, king is coming. He's here. He's coming. And uh, he was acknowledged uh, to be a great prophet even uh, during his own lifetime. In fact, uh, we're told uh, different occasions that the Jewish religious leaders did not want to say things against John the Baptist because they feared the people would be in an uproar because they viewed John as being a prophet. But interestingly, as important of a role as was John's, he did not come performing any miracles that, we, that are recorded. In fact, it says here, John did no miracle. He did perform miracles. It was all a matter of what he said, uh, what he spoke. He spoke the word of God. He introduced, as a forerunner, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he did no miracles. He did no miraculous signs like Jesus did. And we might say, well, I wonder why. And again, we're not told ex exactly why, but let me suggest as a possibility that uh, God wanted all the focus to be upon Jesus, not upon John. That if John came performing all these miracles and then Jesus followed him by performing all these miracles um, after John or at the same time as John, uh, it might tend to, again, have those following John and those following Jesus God wanted all the attention to be on Jesus. And so John was, came just as a voice, crying out in the wilderness, not as one who was performing miracles as Jesus was. And yet God abundantly blessed his ministry, did he not? Uh, and he was abundantly blessed by uh, God himself which I think should help us to understand, it's not the presence of miracles that is most important, as is it, in, sadly in the emphasis of many churches today, many in, in the uh, various uh, churches that proclaim the necessity of miracles and things of this nature. Uh, uh, John's ministry was abundantly blessed by God, and yet it was not one uh, of miracles. It's not the presence of miracles, it's the presence of God's power. The presence of God's power in the faithful preaching and proclamation of his word. That's where the greatest miracle, I submit to you, is found, is in the faithful proclamation of God's word because a miracle cannot change somebody's heart. God's word is that which changes the heart of men. It's the truth. Miracles are only there to confirm the truth, not to establish the truth. It's God's word that establishes the truth, not miracles. When God chooses to give miracles, Praise God, that's up to him. But a ministry that is without miracles 
but is filled with God's Spirit by way of the faithful proclamation of His Word is a ministry that is evidencing the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 42, And many believed on Him there. Well, many believed also in John 2, verses 23 through 25, After performing various miracles, it says, John 2, 23-25, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He did not commit himself to them. This is the danger of following miracles. That, uh, uh, that one is following the man, performing the miracles, but not following and believing in the truth of the gospel that is, that is being proclaimed. Jesus did not commit himself to many of those who made a profession of faith. And so we need to again realize that uh, miracles can mislead and can deceive. Deuteronomy 13 verses 1 through 4 there the Lord says that even if someone, a prophet comes and uh, miraculously uh, gives a prophecy and it comes to pass, but what he says leads you away from the truth. Don't follow him. Don't follow him because God's testing you to see whether you truly love him and his truth. Likewise in Matthew 7 verses 21 through 23, there the Lord Jesus says many in, in that day, that day of judgment, many will come and will say, uh, Lord, Lord, will confess him to be Lord. We'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't we uh, prophesy in thy name? Didn't we uh, perform many uh, wondrous signs and miracles in thy name? And uh, Jesus will say, uh, turn from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. And then in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, the man of sin... Uh, the son of perdition, the Antichrist, uh, will perform and uh, has performed uh, in the papal uh, in the uh, in the papal Church of Rome. Uh, uh, professes to have performed, perhaps has actually performed. The papacy has performed uh, various miraculous signs and wonders, um, but they're called lying wonders, lying wonders, which. In Second Thessalonians 2, uh, Paul says, mislead and deceive um, uh, those to destruction. So let us not follow signs and wonders. Let that not be uh, that which establishes the truth in our minds, but rather that the word of God itself, the truth of God's word, establishes uh, the truth, the faithful proclamation of his truth is that which establishes 
uh, the truth, God himself, and in his words speaking, uh, that is what establishes the truth, not miracles. Miracles confirm, uh, again, uh, but it's the truth uh, that of God's word that establishes the truth. Okay, let's uh, stand together as, as God's people. Our blessed God, thank thee again for uh, giving to us thy word. Thy word is truth. Uh, it is self-attesting. Uh, we need no further confirmation uh, than thy, thy word, but thou dost give us confirmation at times by way of miraculous signs and wonders. Uh, but help us, our Lord, not to be misled by them, to put all of our faith and trust in them. Even in the case of Jesus, uh, uh, though he appeals to his miracles, um, uh, he likewise uh, makes very clear that his miracles confirmed the truth, uh, not that they established the truth. His word was that which established the truth. What he said was that which established the truth. And uh, thank thee for giving to us uh, even the example of John the Baptist, that we can see that he was a great prophet of God, but one, the word of God says, performed no miracle, and yet he is mightily used of the Lord. And so Lord, thank thee for making these things clear to us in thy word, and uh, that we might not be misled and deceived. We pray, Father, take the, the truth which has uh, been found in thy word, proclaimed, taught this evening, and uh, uh, open our hearts to it, to receive it, uh, to love it, and to, uh, to uh, practice it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Are there any questions uh, anyone has from the study this evening? Okay. All right, you are you are dismissed.